Open your Bibles, if you would, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've been talking for the past year about the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, the work of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does, how dependent we are, and uh, most recently we've been talking about the giftings of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works in the church and equips us for the things that God desires us to do. In fact, the things that God has already prepared before the foundation of the world for us to do. Isn't that amazing? God knew us before he ever created us. And he knew exactly where we would fit in his plan. And there are things that he already designed before he ever created the heavens and the earth. He designed ministries for you and I to be involved in. Is that not astounding to you? And so as we've been studying these things, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about these ministries or giftings, if you will, spiritual enablements that fit us for the things that God has prepared for us to do. And uh, last time I gave you an overview of some 27 different gift categories, and they weren't exhaustive, nor were they exhaustive definitions, but sufficient thereof to uh, give you a sense of what these gifts are about. And uh, this morning, I want to begin to talk to you, actually this morning and next week, I want to talk to you about this. There's one particular gift that uh, seems to have been, since the inception of the church, especially in Corinth, has been misunderstood, misused, uh, abused, if you will. Uh, And it is a very, very uh, significant gift. Most people would diminish it. But as we'll talk this morning, I think it'll it'll rise in your estimation, uh, certainly as you begin to understand it better. I'm going to talk about the the, uh, gift of tongues. And next week we're going to finish my remarks on this and actually talk about the gift of interpretation of tongues also. Now the Corinthian church, as many of you may know, probably know, uh, was a very richly, richly gifted church in lots of different ways. And uh, they lived, Corinth was, was a, a port city and were lots of things, as you know, uh, historically through a port city, lots of influences come and go and affect the population. These people uh, were all Gentiles, largely saved out of a pagan culture and adopted and carried into their faith any number of uh, nuanced meanings uh, and they kind of amalgamated them with their, with their new Christian faith. And so the whole letter that Paul writes to them is a letter of uh, correction. Uh, he acknowledges them, he's thankful for them, he blesses them, uh, but at it, it point after point after point after point, uh, as you read through the letter, they're instructions, but they're instructions in the face of, of things that they've got kind of little, little out, of, out, of, out of level, right? The bubble is not quite exactly in the center. And so he's going to talk to them. We're going to read what he has to say this morning and, and gain some understanding of this one particular gift. And the gifts were designed to um, benefit the whole body of Christ, not just individual Christians. And more particularly, uh, the Corinthians were really, really enamored uh, with these nine miraculous gifts. 
As I suggested to you last time, there are a whole list of different spiritual gifts, and uh, they're all miraculous, but not in the sense that they could be spectacularly so, like the gift of miracles and healings and prophetic utterances and tongues and so forth. And they were all enamored with the miraculous, where Paul is more enamored with the ministry. His emphasis is ministry, 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 for the building up of the body, the building up of the church. Their emphasis was individualism. And they were most particularly enamored with this gift of tongues. And, uh, and you read the whole 14th chapter, and you see that he speaks to that issue. No gift, again, has been so controversial and been the source of so much concern and interest, I think, as the gift of tongues. You get in any kind of uh, charismatic or uh, Pentecostal church, and the, you know, the tongues is the issue. If it's not up front, it is kind of in between the lines, and people want to either experience it or know it or, or have some visibility of it. And that's been no different in our church, and I've had a number of people talk to me about this the, uh, Friday night and Saturday night after both services. So we're going to no doubt have some comments today. Now, a, a, couple of, a couple of things I need to share with you. Um, <clears throat> you may have the gift of tongues, but as many people are wont to do, after you get this gift, especially early on in your Christian walk, uh, you're tempted to doubt it. This is a common, common thing. People go, well, you know, they, t- they use this gift and, and they say, is this just me? It, doesn't, it seems like I'm just gibberish. And, 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 and so given that doubt, they, they cease using it. If you have the gift or if you think you have the gift... I want to encourage you, exercise it, and do so by faith. How should you do it? Like every other gift, like everything else we do, we live by faith, right? It's not on the basis of your rational capacity, essentially. These are spiritual endowments. I, too, understand that dynamic of, of feeling like, well, this is me, is this real, am I just making this up? and that sort of thinking, and how it can affect you negatively, and you can effectively quash the use of this gift and not benefit by it, but God's given it to you for a purpose, or multiple purposes. I, too, had to make a decision early on in my walk to exercise this gift by faith. And the doubts are going to come, the questions are going to come, the enemy doesn't want me to use this gift, but I've just decided uh, over the years to do this by faith. So I hope that helps uh, some of you who may be wrestling with this. Now, the gift of tongues, <clears throat> let's, 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 let's give it some kind of definition. I've got a two-pronged definition for you. It is the ability <coughs> to speak in a language. Now, that word language, put in quotes, okay, because I want to I qualify that a little bit. But for lack of a better term, we're going to use that. The gift of tongues is the ability to speak in a language that the speaker has not learned, that he or she doesn't even understand necessarily, and this language may or may not be comprehensible to whoever hears it. So there's a number of potential qualifications there for us. It is the ability to communicate with God, as we shall see later on and uh, communicate with God in a special language, again, for the purpose of praise, intercession, and personal 
spiritual edification. And we're going to note those things in just a few minutes. Now, I use the term language with some hesitation. The reason is that some claim that they do speak in a definite human language. Now, if you go back to the second chapter of Acts, you see that when the disciples came down from the upper room after being filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues and they proclaimed the glories of God, their testimonies. And Luke records that people from all over the Roman Empire, from every language group and district, heard them in their own language. Now the question has always been, did these men actually speak these languages, or did God give people the miraculous ability to hear in their own language? So we don't know for sure. That becomes a point of speculation. But the reality is, is that there are people who speak in tongues who claim that they are speaking in a known language. Uh, If you read missionary literature, uh, you periodically come across accounts where missionaries have gone into obscure places uh, having no idea of the language, uh, having studied linguistics to approximate what they think may be some dialect that they could somehow relate to uh, the indigenous people. And uh, God has given somebody the gift of tongues. They speak in tongues and the natives understand them. So again, we don't know if that's exactly that the language, they had given a specific language, or that there's a miraculous capacity for people hearing whatever's being said in their own tongue. So there are people who who, um, claim that they speak in a definite human language. Others do not. But they do regard the gift as a quote-unquote Holy Spirit language designed to enable both men and angels to worship God. Now, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, Paul makes this comment. He says, if I speak in the, in the tongues of men and of angels. So there's some hint maybe there that tongues could be a heavenly language, maybe something akin to what maybe angels use. Now, again, we can't be definitive about that, but there are these hints And so some people would regard the gift as some kind of Holy Spirit language designed to enable men, both angels and men, to worship God and to do so with a greater depth and with greater release in their inner being than they heretofore had known. It's kind of like what we could describe as a a love language between a happily married couple, man and wife. And there are couples who actually have these, what you could describe as love language. They, they communicate in ways and in phrases and things that uh, may not mean anything to anybody else when those words or phrases are, are analyzed. But to the couple, uh, they, they communicate a, a personal intimacy, understanding, knowledge, and love and trust that they've developed. My beloved and I have a special love language. We're not going to share that with you. (laughs) So, so again, let me underscore this. There are people who claim that there's a definite language. And others say, no, it's more of a Holy Spirit imbued language, if you will, uh, that allows you to 
to be more intimate with God. Now, now there have been some studies, and I've read a few of them over the years, done on the phenomenon of tongues. And the point was to determine if there is an actual human language being spoken. The conclusion in most all, if not all, of those studies was uh, that tongues is fundamentally not a language as you and I understand language in spite of superficial similarities to uh, known languages. Uh, The conclusion is that tongues can be described as a sort of pseudo-language. And by that I mean a, a, a form of precognitive speech. We normally process our thoughts and feelings uh, with words, don't we? we? We take emotions we have, experiences, thoughts, and we frame them in words in a cognitive sense, and we, we convey them in a syntactical manner. So we use words and syntax in a cognitive way. And all I'm suggesting is that the studies and the people who study these things have said, linguists and so forth, that the gift of tongues is probably not that. It's precognitive. In other words, there is no real uh, processing of these uh, expressions via our conscious mind, and uh, we don't use an orderly arrangement of vocabulary and syntax to express uh, what we're saying. Does that make sense to you? Some of you, good. Okay. Now, If you look at chapter 14, verses 7 through 11, actually verses 6 through 11, Paul gives three analogies here which seem to support the thesis that these are probably unintelligible languages. Verse 6, he says, Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? So what he is suggesting there is, I'm not going to be any good if I speak in tongues unless what I'm bringing to you is intelligible speech. In other words, it means something. Then he goes on and gives three analogies to support that thesis. And I think these three analogies give hint to the fact that probably tongues, as we understand it, or as he's explaining it, and as the Corinthians expressed it, was not necessarily a known language. Just follow his logic with me. He says in verse 7, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, now he's talking about musical instruments, such as the flute or the harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? So do we appreciate the fact that our worship team and Alan and the people who play the instruments, do we appreciate that there's a distinction in the notes? Yeah, otherwise it would be what? It would just be a worthless noise. Okay? So we understand the notes make a difference. The distinction in the sounds makes a difference to us. (laughs) He says again, verse 8, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? Clearly an allusion to the military use of the trumpet. We all understand that. And and the, the various different trumpet calls, if you will, and they signal different messages. And but if it's all the same, then then no one can tell a difference. So it is with you, verse 9. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. 
If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker and he is a foreigner to me. So the first analogy he uses is that of the inanimate musical instruments. He says if the flute or the harp uh, gave no meaningful variation in the notes, nobody would understand. It wouldn't make any difference. And again, as in the case of the trumpet, nobody would respond appropriately to the trumpet call. Uninterpreted tongues are like that, and they're like those musical instruments played at random in contrast to prophecy. And prophecy uh, is both intelligible and it rouses people to action. So he's comparing and contrasting tongues and prophecy in chapter 14, the unintelligibility of tongues and the intelligibility of uh, the gift of prophecy. The second uh, analogy he uses, he turns to the human tongue itself and he makes the same two points. If I don't enunciate clear words, I'm not understood and I achieve nothing. Very simple. Now in that analogy, Paul's making a play on the word tongue itself Uh, The Greek word can mean either the physical organ that we know as our tongue or the language of tongues. What Paul is doing is rebuking gently the Corinthians for their cult of unintelligibility. To them, speaking in a tongue, they didn't care. Corinth was literally a cult of unintelligibility. They were very, very proud and excited to exhibit this gift in mass. And everybody was encouraged to speak in tongues in their public gatherings. And Paul uh, argues against that. To him, the tongue as part of the body was essentially associated with intelligibility, not unintelligibility, or else it achieved nothing at all. So he makes a play on the very word tongue. They were using their tongue and their gift inappropriately, and he's trying to bring correction to their error. The third analogy uh, is an illustration from other languages, making the same two points. If I'm speaking in a foreign tongue, people will not be able to understand me or respond to my communication unless that tongue is interpreted, unless there's someone there to interpret. I shall sound like a barbarian to them. That's in effect what he says. And that was particularly a painful statement to the Corinthians who as Greeks prided themselves on their Greek language. The Greek language was the language of the day. uh, uh, Everyone spoke Greek. And uh, and the Greeks despised the foreigners whose languages sounded like meaningless jabber. In fact, they characterized foreign language by this phrase, bar, bar, bar. It It was they mocked them and derided foreigners who spoke their native tongues and weren't speaking Greek. And in fact, uh, that's where the pejorative term barbarian came from, bar, 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 from the Greeks and from the, uh, their, uh, their diminishment of foreign languages. And so Paul says, he says, I'm, I'm a barbarian if, I, if I'm speaking unintelligibly and you don't understand what I'm saying. <laughs> Each of those three points made by Paul uh, to discourage the use of uninterpreted tongues uh, in church seems to indicate that the phenomenon of tongues was not a language, but rather a deeply felt love language, if you will, of the Corinthians to their Lord. Now, having said that, there are many well-attested examples of tongues being understood 
uh, by someone present who happens to belong to another language group or who knows the tongue in question. Uh, as evidence, as I suggested earlier, the missionary literature is, is, is every so often you run across a, an, a, an illustration where someone has gone into some obscure tribe and spoken in a tongue and they've understood them. We see that happening in the second chapter of Acts. One particular uh, rather poignant example, uh, personal example, is years ago uh, in one of our services, uh, someone did give a message in a tongue. <coughs> And it was recorded. And as we do, there are, there are people who subscribe to our, our sermons. You may go online and get us, download us right online. But there are people who, who still get uh, um, CDs. Thank you. Uh, I'm thinking in terms of tapes and eight tracks. but <laughs> We've moved on from that, apparently. But this gal lived in England, and she was on our mailing list, and it was subscribing to our tapes by mail. And uh, unbeknownst to me, the, the, the message in tongues was on that tape. I, had, I, I never gave it another thought. There was nobody there to interpret it. And so if there's no one there to interpret it, we simply disregard it. We made that announcement. If there's no interpretation, please disregard that expression we thank you for your desire to share but there's no interpretation so we're going to disregard it not give it that much weight well weeks later i got a letter in the mail from this lady in england who got this tape and listened to the sermon and heard that tongue she happened to be a linguist and she wrote back and she says i want to tell you what that tongue was it was a high germanic dialect obscure which I have been studying and this is the interpretation of that tongue now you don't think my jaw didn't drop when I read that and I've got the letter someplace I've looked for it I can't find it and and I can't tell you what the interpretation was it was years ago I can barely tell you what I had for lunch last week <clears throat> but, uh, but again, I, I cite that as an example of the fact that though it seems that Paul is saying these are not known languages, this tongue, there are people who have experienced some uh, sense in which they are known languages or uh, certainly um, they understand what has been said. So it's probably best then to give the fullest possible breadth to Paul's expression, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, when he lists the gifts and he refers to tongues, he uses this phrase, different kinds of tongues. So that would seem to include, at least in my mind, uh, that in some cases tongues may be unknown uh, to the speaker, but intelligible to someone who knows that particular language used, and other tongues may not be a particular language at all, but will rather be an outpouring of the deepest longings of the heart released by the Holy Spirit in praise and prayer and song. So tongues then may be a language. It may not be a language. I've solved that one, haven't I? <laughs> depending upon the circumstances, depending upon the particular gift that God intended to give the individual. Incidentally, and this is a kind of a side note, in some of the more modern translations, you'll read this, and these are the... <coughs> excuse me, the, more the prayer phrases 
uh, and you, you read this translation, tongues of ecstasy. That is an inappropriate translation of the language from the Greek. So if you have a text and, and you say, it says tongues of ecstasy, uh, disregard that. Uh, <clears throat> this, is, uh, this is not some ecstatic, compulsive thing. Uh, as those of you who have the gift of tongues, you know that this gift is not something you're carried away with. Uh, it's something that you're, un, you're in control of. Uh, Paul, Paul instructs the tongue speakers there in Corinth to control themselves in the church if there's not someone there to interpret. Uh, look with me at chapter 14, verse 28. <clears throat> he says, If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. So some people think, and, and some of the Corinthians, because of their, their experience with ecstatic pagan religions, and they would get into these trances, they would, they would give the impression that they would be carried kind of out of their body and, and go off on these different experiences. And, uh, and some of the more modern translators would carry that idea through. It is not this ecstatic experience, okay? Just understand that, please. So what, what actually is the purpose of tongues? Paul gives several purposes. And let's just go down and look through them right now. Number one, tongues enables a person to speak to God in prayer. And you say, well, can I speak to God in prayer in English or Spanish or my normal native tongue? Absolutely. In chapter 14, verse 2, he says, anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries in his spirit. Now, what are those mysteries? We don't know. Uh, he does say that if you speak in a tongue or if you, 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 you have that gift, you should also pray that you could understand it, you could interpret it, pray that your mind would be fruitful. But if your mind is not fruitful, uh, just know that by faith you're uttering mysteries to God. And what those mysteries are all about, we don't know. We won't know probably until we're in heaven and we see things from his perspective. So Paul says that the, the gift of tongues kind of opens a new dimension to a person's prayer life. He or she longs to pray, whereas maybe before it had been an effort to pray. And time will find, you find time to be unimportant. It will be nothing out of the way to spend an hour or two in communion with God, praying in tongues. Uh, I have the gift. I utilize it. I pray in tongues continuously. Uh, I, you're probably like me. Uh, you know, we have our, our, uh, our prayer formulas, don't we? ACTS, how many know what I'm talking about? Adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, and supplication, right? Or you use the Our Father, and, you, and that's a model prayer, and so you you pray phrase by phrase and you expand on the phrase and you think through your prayer and so forth. But ultimately, you know, you, you pray through prayer and you want prayer to be just really intimate communication with God, don't you? I mean, that's what it's all about. And very often we just end up praying our lists. How many know what I'm talking about? We just, our prayer, you know, we're, we're, it, it, it's heartfelt, but it's still a list. So very often I find that when I, my prayer degenerates to that, uh, I have a longing to pray, to pray, spend more time with God, have that be a meaningful time. It's like, I don't want my wife and I, our conversation, just to be a list and perfunctory. When we communicate, uh, she certainly wants it to be meaningful, right? 
And I, as a dutiful husband, pay attention. <laughs> how, many, how many husbands know what I'm talking about? <laughs> See, the fact that you give eye contact and you communicate, you're serious. Meaningful communication, right, Charlie? <laughs> you got it. <laughs> as much as possible, that's right. <laughs> so very often, what I'll do is I'll, I'll just resort to praying in tongues. And it really does. Again, by faith, it results in a sense, this is all totally subjective, a sense that I have really spent quality time with God. I don't necessarily know what I've said. But I trust that God is giving me uh, uh, mysteries to speak, and these things are that which God wants me to pray. God, show me how you want me to pray. Give me your words. And very often, tongues is, is a, a mechanism whereby that can happen. So it, tongues it can afford for us and produce uh, uh, for us a genuine freedom in prayer. Secondly, tongues enables a person to praise God at a depth unknown previously. Again, this is something I think every Christian longs for, to be able to really praise God. And, and in our own human efforts, we fall short, don't we? But that doesn't mean still don't do it. We, we still do it. It's like giving. He wants us to be cheerful, but if we're not a cheerful giver, he doesn't say, well, don't give, right? And this is, if you go back to Acts chapter 10 and the account of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile, God-fearer, uh, was, was a, a gracious guy and, and gave alms to the poor uh, uh, Jews there. And uh, that didn't make him a believer, it just made him a God-fearer. And so God took note of that and sent an angel to Cornelius and told him to call for a man by the name of Peter. Peter would come and pray for him and uh, he would then know what the truth is. And so um, that's exactly what happened. And before Peter could preach his sermon in full to Cornelius in his household, the Holy Spirit came upon him and they all got filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke in what? They spoke in tongues and praised God. Acts chapter 10 verse uh, 46. So I'm going to suggest to you that, that when Luke says they spoke in tongues and praised God, they're not two separate things. I, I'm suggesting that, that the speaking in tongues inclusive was of, of praising God also. You see it again in the second chapter of Acts when the disciples come down out of the upper room and, uh, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they're out in the street and they're declaring the works of God. They're praising God and all these other people hear them in their own languages. So all I'm suggesting is this gift enables us to praise God to a degree uh, heretofore that we are unable to, to know or to experience. And perhaps even Paul's references to singing spiritual songs to the Lord in Ephesians and Colossians may indeed include singing in tongues. If you look with me at uh, Ephesians 5.19, it should be on the screen. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Now, we, we know that we can certainly sing and make music to the, heart in our, to the Lord in our heart, in, in our normal language, right? In normal tongues. Might that also allow for, to be expanded to you could include tongues? I think so. I think so. And the passage in Colossians 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, excuse me, and as you sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. Spiritual songs. Now we sing spiritual songs. We sing them in English. Sometimes we sing a, sing a Spanish variation, or maybe a Jewish variation. But the reality is that could be also include singing in tongues. I'm not excluding it. Okay, there's no, you can't be definitive about it, but a spiritual song can be in any language, can't it? And if it can be in any language, there's no reason why it can't be in a tongue. So Paul, Paul's references might include also that. And uh, singing in tongues is a glorious thing. Uh, first time I ever heard it in Mass was as a brand new Christian. Uh, there's some, there's a, a couple here in our church, uh, Joe and Lori Caesar, who, who as, a, as a brand new Christian, they took me under their wing and kind of discipled me in my early walk with the Lord. And uh, they were excited for me to hear this. They didn't tell me anything about it. So on a Wednesday night, we didn't have many church back in those days. So on a Wednesday night, they took me to, to a place called Church on the Way out in Van Nuys. I didn't know anything about that either. You know, it was all a brand new world to me. And so we just got in the car. We drove out to the valley and the Church on the Way. And, and uh, Pastor Jack, I got initiated with Pastor Jack Hayford. And in his own inimitable way, as you may know Jack or know of him, <clears throat> you know, he would lead the congregation in worship. He loved to get up there and lead in worship. And, uh, um, and so then somehow, I don't know how this happens, it transitions from singing songs that we know into singing in tongues. Now, I'd, I'd never heard this. I thought, my gosh, what is that? You know, and he would say, we use different allusions. We're going we're gonna to sing to the Lord in our heavenly language or, you know, I use different terms. But I, I thought it was absolutely the most beautiful, harmonious phenomenon I'd ever heard. And people, and many of you who have experienced this yourself, uh, I think would attest that it elates your soul in worship to a remarkable degree. And people come out of those environments just absolutely high. I mean, I don't know any other way to explain it. Now, um, I, had, I had a lady last night ask me after the service, because she got saved at church on the way, and she was very familiar with this. And she said, we, you know, we used to pray in tongues in our prayer groups. And I said, well, we don't, we don't do that here because we get people here who that would freak them out if we broke up. It, we just freak people out when we get in our prayer groups. Right. <laughs> I mean, you could be here for years and come and you've never been in a prayer group and someone starts praying for you, you go, ah! <laughs> so, so we don't do that. But I, I, did, I did encourage you, if you do have that gift and you want to praise God in your tongue, feel free to do it during our worship service. Only caution is don't do it so loudly that it calls attention to you. Whereas nobody else will be doing it, and we have a congregation, the cross-section of which is we're not enculturated, if you will, like Church on the Way, so that almost everybody there does have a gift of tongues or at least express tongues. That's not characteristic of our congregation. And so where there'll be people, if we invited everybody to sing in tongues, there'll be lots of people who don't have the gift, and we don't want them to feel left out. Okay, so if you have that gift and you want to sing in tongues during our worship time, please feel free to do so, but don't do it in a way that cause, 
unnecessary attention to yourself and distracts the people around you who may be worshiping in their own unique individual tongue. Does that make sense? So, so there's a, there's a, a marvelous, marvelous uh, use of that gift. Um, <clears throat> and interesting, too, uh, if you compare and contrast, and I've been in both, I've been in charismatic prayer meetings, and I've been in your average run-of-the-mill uh, evangelical prayer meeting, and there is, a, <laughs> there is a difference between the two. And where the charismatic one is typically... Uh, uh, marked by prayer and praise and very often singing in tongues and the evangelical one uh, is not necessarily uh, there is a qualitative difference in that sense and if you read uh, the history of the church almost every great spiritual revival throughout the entire history of the Christian church has been accompanied by praise and singing and worship that always leads the people. And this is why we, this is why we, we, we have a, a song service, a praise service, prior to the preaching of the word, which all of you rush to get here before the service starts so that you can praise God and be prepared for the reception of the word, right? Yes. So when the Holy Spirit is at work within... People must give expression to their emotions in songs of praise and tongues is one of those mechanisms whereby God accommodates that need in us. Third, uh, Paul says that tongues edifies or builds up the individual. Again, in, in the uh, fourth verse of chapter 14, he writes this. He says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. So there is some effect uh, to build us up. And, and this shouldn't really surprise us. If it is a means of releasing the inhibitions which keep us from really praying and praising God, then there's got to be some edification personally to us. Um, remember, Paul in chapter 14 here is concerned to contrast speaking in tongues which only edifies the speaker with prophecy which builds up the church. But it would be wrong for us for that reason to deny that tongue speaking does edify the individual. In other words, he does. He says don't forbid the speaking in tongues. Why? Because it's a resource for the building up and the edification of the individual. Tongues is one of the ways of growth in the Christian life for those who have been given that gift. And it is given, like all the other manifestations of the Holy Spirit, for the profiting. That's the actual word in the Greek translation, the literal translation, for the profiting. Profiting for the church at large and individual profiting. God means us, our lives, to be profited by these gifts. Perhaps one of the areas of profit that we may need to be reminded of in our overly cerebral, scientific, materialistic culture is this. Tongues allows the human spirit to pray even when the mind is unfruitful because it cannot understand. So much of the time, we, 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 we're so aware of, of our cognitive capacity and we're always having to understand something and figure it out and be logical and rational about things, 
and, and to the exclusion of that spiritual part of our life. And all I'm suggesting is that tongues would be something to accommodate that spirit, our spirit without necessarily our mind always understanding. Does that make sense to you? Uh, many people pray in tongues. They pray in tongues while they're occupied doing other things, driving, uh, vacuuming, uh, working, typing, you know, whatever, whatever they, they, can, they, can, they can do those things simultaneously. And their spirit is praying all the while. So tongues is clearly a valuable gift for private edification. It can bring a profound sense of the presence of God and lead then as a result to a release from tension and worry and a deepening of love and trust. And as the Holy Spirit leads the believer in that kind of prayer, there is often a deep sense of being in harmony with God. Tension. Have you ever, have you ever had difficulty falling asleep? And your mind just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. Going from this to this to this, and you find yourself worried and anxious and concerned, and oh, you just can't get to sleep. Count sheep. Read your Bible. Wake up your spouse. Turn on the TV. Go ahead and do something. I pray in tongues. I'm thankful for that gift. Now, I, I'm not going to define the mechanism. I don't know. You know, you can say, well, yeah, you just switch the focus of your thinking. I don't care. I get to sleep. That's the point. I do. I just, I just focus. and I say, you know what, God? You know all this other stuff. I can't do anything about it. I'm not going to lay here awake. I have to get up early in the morning. I need my sleep. I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to put everything in your hands, and I just pray in a tongue. And it relieves me of all that tension and all that anxiety. That's just my experience. <clears throat> there are other ways in which the private use of tongues can edify. Many people find it a real help in, in bearing physical pain or mental distress. There are people who have experienced terrific physical pain and they pray in tongues and they find that there is relief from that. I've had people testify to me about that. Mental distress. I just gave you an example of, you know, you can't get to sleep. It's a valuable adjunct to uh, intercessory prayer, especially when we don't know what or how to pray. In the classic passage in Romans chapter 8, Paul says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And then he identifies the particular weakness he has in mind. He says uh, there are times when we don't know what to pray or how to pray. Anybody find that to be true? You, there's a compulsion to pray. I've got to pray, I, I, but I don't know exactly what to pray. I don't know how to pray. And we may ask God, show me how to pray. Lead me. Give me some wisdom and insight. But he goes on to say, and there, there are times when the Holy Spirit will take over and he will do a work in us and he will intercede for us with groans that words can't express. Now, I used to differentiate between groans and tongues because people say, is that the same thing as tongues? I say, no, no, it's groans. But then it dawned on me, tongues really is unintelligible speech, true? 
And groans also are unintelligible speech. It is a mechanism that God accommodates to and uses to enable us to communicate whatever he wants us to communicate because Paul goes on and says in that passage that whatever we pray, we know that it's in accordance with the will of God. So even if you don't have the gift of tongues, guess what? You can groan your prayers. Now, groans and moans and sighs, though they are typically unintelligible, most of us know when someone's groaning and sighing what what they mean, don't we? But the Holy Spirit particularly uses that mechanism. And I think it's akin to uh, this gift of tongues. It it can be used as a terrific adjunct in terms of interceding. So I don't know what I'm saying necessarily. Now, let me me add a a word of caution here. Tongues is not a magical incantation. And sometimes I've been in, in situations where people have been interceding and praying for somebody in the situation, and it sounds like the tongue they're praying in is almost like a magical incantation. No, it's a prayer. We're just simply speaking to God, though maybe our mind is unfruitful and maybe there's no one there to interpret. It's an intercession. So you want to make sure you guard against that. It's not magical. Okay, it's simply prayer, just like you'd pray in English. Am I making sense? Does that help? Perhaps one of the most important uses of tongues is in spiritual warfare. When there's an oppressive sense of evil present, or when a ministry of deliverance is being engaged in, in other words, we're casting uh, demonic uh, spirits out of somebody, then prayer in tongues can prove to be a powerful instrument for the Holy Spirit to use. Example, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul concludes his description of the spiritual armor that a Christian needs to wear against satanic attacks. He, he concludes that with these words. Note this. And pray in the Spirit. Now that could, be, that could be mean a lot of things. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So I'm going to submit to you that that phrase, all kinds of prayers and requests, could also be inclusive of praying in tongues or groaning, or moaning. Again, it's, a, it's an expression of intercession. And this would include praying at the inspiration of the Spirit in words that we understand and in words that we don't understand. So you could pray in a clear language or pray in a language that you don't know. In 1 Corinthians fourteen fifteen, Paul says, I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. So he prays both ways. So there is ample, ample value and great value in the private use of tongues. But the public use of this gift in the congregation has no value. Has no value. Indeed, it can be a disturbing distraction unless someone is present who has the gift of interpretation for it simply will not be understood. It's just a distraction. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 19, Paul says this, But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others 
than 10,000 words in a tongue. So he's in effect saying, you know what? If you have a tongue and you want to give, a, 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 give your tongue, use your tongue, make sure that there's someone there who can interpret if you don't have the gift of interpretation. Otherwise, keep quiet. I'd rather speak five words in an intelligible language that's going to instruct people than 10,000 words in a tongue. Hence, tongues in the public venue is of no value. Now, here's what I want you to do this. I want you to think through this, and, and you may or may not have the gift of tongues, but in either case, and especially in your mini church discussions this week, uh, I want you to talk about your experience with the gift of tongues. What, have, what experience have you had? What experience have you not had? What has been your sense and your understanding? Correlate those things with the things we've talked about this morning. What value is tongues? What are its limitations? What effect can it have? And in fact, do you have the gift? And if you've got the gift, I, sh- I want to encourage you to use it, exercise it by faith. And the more you exercise it, the more functional it will become and the greater the effect in your own personal life. Amen? Next week, we've got, got some more things to talk to you about with respect to this, and we'll talk about interpretation of tongues. Very, very important subject. But in any case, whatever spiritual gift you have, what should you do with it? Use it. Exercise it. Exercise it. If you don't know what your gifts are, we have a class going on right now, Thursday nights, Pastor Bruce is teaching it, uh, to discover your ministry, where you fit in the body of Christ, and how those giftings can come to the forefront. Every Christian is gifted. Every Christian has a ministry. And if you don't know what it is, come and be educated, or at least as I said a couple weeks ago, how you can realize your gift, you can get that sermon on CD or download it for those of you that do that. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for your instruction. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the gifts that you give to your church. And Lord, I pray that we would all earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I pray that whatever giftings we have, God, you would stir us up and that we would exercise those gifts and the callings and the ministries that you have provided and prepared for us. Father, we love you this morning. We give you thanks for your grace and the privilege of being here. And we commend all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen, church? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and just offer a word of encouragement to your neighbor. And if it's appropriate, pronounce a... A a holy blessing and kiss and hugs.